You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Here in America, where we are playing the Oppression Olympics, uh, we have a new thing where everybody gets to have their own, I call it, letter of the alphabet hyphen word word. The N word, obviously, that's the legit one, totally legit. Uh, some places you will see people using the T word when they mean trans with an NY at the end, which you're not allowed to say anymore. Um, or uh, the R word now for uh, retard or retarded you're not allowed to use anymore. Please use leotard and leotarded in its place. Uh, and the F word is being popularized by some because you're not allowed to say faggot anymore unless you're a faggot. And even then you're going to get in trouble for being faggot. But we had a new one this week. Apparently uh, – I didn't get the memo for this either. But apparently uh, twink, which is gay slang for young, relatively smooth, hairless, not a lot of facial hair, skinny – Boys, young guys, young gay guys. And when gay men say boys, they mean guys who are like 18 to 24, 25. They don't mean children. Um, Andy Cohen, who's the the head of Bravo, the host of uh, Watch What Happens Live, the mastermind behind the Real Housewives of everywhere on earth, uh, described – said he he was at the Today Show and walked into a room and there was One Direction, which is a boy band from the UK that are very popular. And he said, oh, this bunch of twinks. And he was forced to apologize after a big outcry on Twitter and here and there and everywhere uh, because people said that Twink is uh, – is here, I'll read from the news story. The term Twinks is said to be slang uh, for young gay men and is deemed to be offensive and derogatory. Excuse me, but what? Uh, no, uh, unless we now have the T word for Twink because I, – I, I'm actually really staggered by this. Most people I know who are twinks who are passing through twinkdom or had a twink phase of their life because twink ain't forever. There's a lot of hairy, fat-ass bears out there, hot, sexy, hairy, fat-ass bears who were twinks once upon a time in their sort of gay larval stage. Embrace it. They they like the word twink. And, you know, twinks are young, generally regarded to be desirable, kind of hot – Gay guys, they're not really an oppressed class unless you think a lot of people thinking you're hot and wanting to fuck you is oppression and it ain't. Uh, But this batted all around and I I freaked out. I freaked out on Twitter about this. Twinks can't be a hate term. We can't now – you know. what do people throw at people who use the word twink? You know, I got in trouble because uh, I didn't get the memo nor did anyone else that TR – a-N-N-Y was a hate term um, and you know, and some trans people don't believe it's a hate term and think people should use it and whatever. We stay away from it now because you know, if you use that word with the Y at the end, you get glittered. Trans activists throw glitter at you. What does a twink throw at you if you use the word twink? Themselves? I hope so because I'm not going to stop using the word twink. Maybe they throw shade. Expired gym memberships? I don't know, but we're going to find out because if twink is a hate term, I'm going to keep using it. Andy Cohen uh, apologized. I wished he hadn't because it's really just silly. We have to push back against this everybody gets a letter of the alphabet hyphen word word shit because it's getting a little exhausting. If twink is a hate term, then bear and leather guy and otter and queen, all they're all hate words. It's not a hate word. Can it be said – Hatefully, can someone be, you know, use twink as a kind of a dismissive label? Sure, but that's about intent. That's not about the word itself. And there's a lot of people online and on Twitter who identify proudly as twinks. What are we going to do with them? What are we going to throw at them? As uh, one of my Twitter followers pointed out when I asked what twinks would throw at people if they were mad about people using the term twink, uh, twinks don't throw, they catch. But that's just a stereotype. I've met a lot of pitchers who were twinks. I believe that once upon a time, I was kind of a twinky pitcher. Now I'm an old man pitcher. And how ironic that all of this twink controversy should come down the week that the thing twinks are named after goes bankrupt. Hostess 
went bankrupt last week and it's being liquidated because of a, a labor dispute which was basically the company didn't want to pay its laborers. But Twinks were named for Twinkies, cream-filled, kind of soft and squishy, yellow cakes. Twinkie snack cakes went down last week. Also, Twinks almost went down last week. I'm glad to say, I'm proud to say that all sorts of people have rallied to the defense of the word Twink, John Aravosis at America Blog, uh, Michelangelo Signorelli, me and others have manned the ramparts. Anyway, who am I to adjudicate this dispute? I, I'm not really a good person to adjudicate this dispute. I love language and labels and rough terms and you know, I use faggot and dyke and breeder and sissy and queer in my column all the time. So I kicked this upstairs, this twink dispute. I asked for a ruling from Herndon Gradak, who is the president of the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. That's the organization that jumps down your throat if you use the F word or the T word inappropriately uh, or at all these days. And I asked him just straight up, yes or no, Herndon Gradak, president of GLAAD, is twink a hate term? The ruling from GLAAD, no. So the world is safe for twinks. The world is safe for the term twink. Uh, and I think we should all rally to – Twink Pride's side in defense of twinks themselves and the language. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. Uh, I just moved to California a week ago from Washington State, and my phone was stolen prior, so I got a text from an unknown number that shows a baby bump on a girl's belly. No, nothing else, no face, no legs, just a baby bump. It says, here's your baby. Um, this is Kate. Kate was a girl I had sex with in July. And she. I've asked her for proof, for doctor's proof, for a picture of her whole face, for a video of her saying, hey, this is Kate, and look, I have a baby. This is real. Um, when I asked her for proof like that, she just got really mad. I told her that, you know, do whatever she wants, keep it if she wants to. Um, I'll pay child support. Um, but she really hasn't showed me any proof. And last time we texted was last night. And I told her, you know, as long as, until you show me a video or doctor proof, or something of the sort, you know, I won't believe you, you know, because she's lied to me in the past and she kind of duped me into coming over that night and we had sex and made me feel guilty. So um, what is your opinion on this issue? A picture of a baby bump really isn't proof that she's pregnant, one that doesn't have her face in it, doesn't have any identifying characteristics in it at all. Uh, even if she did send you a video of her giving birth, that's not proof that it's your baby. It's entirely reasonable for you to ask for some proof if she's asking something of you. It doesn't sound like she's asking anything of you though. She's not calling lawyers. She's not sicking the government on you. She isn't asking for child support. It sounds like she's just fucking with you and for some reason, whatever her reason might be, maybe she's mad that you moved away. Uh, she's trying to reach out and ruin your day uh, and if she's lied to you in the past and been proven herself to be untrustworthy – in the past, I don't think there's really any reason that you should waste another moment of your precious time even thinking about this. Unless you hear from a lawyer, I think it's abundantly clear that almost certainly this is bullshit and you can forget about her and delete those text messages and move the fuck on already. Hello, Daniel. I have a quick question for you. I'm a young 20-something-year-old my lesbian, I guess. Um, I've been dating the same girl for like five and a half years now. We got together when I was 17. She was mid-20s. When we first, before we even started fucking, 
anytime I was around her, I would just get really aroused, like exceptionally physical reaction. My body reacted. Um, but we've been together for five and a half years now, and I find myself more and more attracted to men on weird random occasions, weird random men that I wouldn't expect to be attracted to. But, um, and the sex is still good. I still can come and she still comes and we still enjoy each other, but I don't get aroused anymore, like ever. I love her very, 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 very much. Um, and we are planning to get married very soon, but I just don't know if this is like, I hear you talk about how lesbians always become like not lesbians or something. And I don't want to marry her if, this is like a precursor. Like if this is a slow regression into, I don't know, straight hood or bi, whatever. I don't, anyways, I'm afraid that I'm changing, even though I still love her. And I still think I could spend the rest of my life with her. Even if I was attracted to men, I just, I don't, if in five years, I'm not going to feel anything for her and I'm going to be like not into her at all. I don't want to make this commitment. I know 22 is young, but um, I already have a dress, and we have plane tickets, and we're flying to New York, and I just don't want to make a really big mistake. Don't do it. Don't compound the mistake you've already made in buying the dress by getting on that fucking airplane. Um, the embarrassment of divorce is going to be greater than the embarrassment of delay. Maybe you are going to be with this woman for the rest of your life. Clearly right now you have cold feet. There is no rush. You are 22 years old and you have been with this person for five and a half years. I hate to be this way but look around your life. How many people do you know who are with the person they were with in high school? You've been dating this person since you were in high school. There are exceptions out there. They will now call and their comments will run on the show in a couple of weeks at the end, angrily pointing out that they've been together since sophomore year and they're happy. I know there are exceptions and you – you too, caller, you and your girlfriend, you could be the exceptions. Uh, odds are though that you ain't because then it wouldn't be called an exception. It would be called the norm. Odds are that you two won't wind up together and you need to listen to what your body and brain and twat are telling you, which is that the commitment right now wouldn't – would be imposed on you in this relationship. It's not coming from inside you. It's not coming from your heart. Uh, you are afraid of disappointing her, perhaps afraid of disappointing friends and family and so you're going to go through with this. Rarely does that add up to a happy, stable, long-term committed relationship or a happy, successful marriage even if you define success as I do as not necessarily terminating in death when we're talking about marriages and relationships. Don't fucking do it. Don't marry someone that you're not attracted to, that you don't want to fuck. Particularly if that person is attracted to you and wants to fuck you. If it's not understood as a companionate marriage, you should not marry this person. Now, please don't say to me, Dan, when you talk about lesbians becoming non-lesbians, how lesbians become non-lesbians, I don't talk about – I don't want to talk about that. I get in trouble when I talk about that. It's just that so many fucking lesbians call my show and talk about it. Talk about how they're not lesbians. You don't say that you're suddenly attracted to men but you are 22 and – Female sexuality is fluid in ways that male sexuality generally ain't fluid. Uh, I don't know where you'll be in five years and neither do you. Maybe you'll still be with this person. Maybe not. Clearly though, you don't know where you'll be or with whom you will want to be with or if it's her or somebody else, if it's another woman, if it's a dude, whatever. You are in a state of flux and panic. Maybe it's just cold feet. That's what long engagements are for. Presumably, you have not been engaged since junior year of high school. What's a few more years if it means sparing yourself the embarrassment of a failed quote-unquote marriage or getting divorced at 24? Don't do it. Overy up, put it off or call it off. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. 
One audiobook to consider is Heads in Beds, A Reckless Memoir of Hotels, Hustles, and So-Called Hospitality by Jacob Tomsky. It got a terrific review in the New York Times last week and I went out and bought it uh, and I'm just a few chapters into it and it's really terrific, particularly if like me, you are a frequent flyer, frequent hotel guest. It makes for riveting reading. It's called Heads in Beds, A Reckless Memoir of Hotels, Hustles, and So-Called Hospitality. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That is audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Uh, I have two questions which are kind of related to each other. Um, some background. I've uh, seen some awesome girl. Uh, she's kind of the epitome of GGG. I have a much higher sex drive, and a, uh, I'm a lot more kinky than she is, and she very much accommodates me. <laughs> She doesn't really have any kinks that we've found so far. Um, but my my problem is two or my question is two things. Um, one, when it comes to like a kink, you know, something that she's kind of hesitant to try, but I want to try. What's the best way to kind of push for it while not nagging? You know, because obviously you want to speak up and let your partner know what you want, but you don't want to be an asshole. Um, so, kind of, what's the best way to? Like push, but not push. Um, and the other thing is, so the other day um, she was giving me head, um, kind of in a position that turns me on more. But I know it's kind of more uncomfortable for her. This kind of relates to the kink thing. Um, and you know, I kind of think of it as like I'm using her. Um, and I'd be okay with that if you know she has something, some kind of demand of me. But you know, I. I have a higher sex drive and I have more kinks, so there's nothing really that I can do in return for her. Um, and she, you know, she says it's fine because, and we, you know, we don't do it all the time. But you know, she said it was fine, but I still felt really weird. So I guess it's kind of how do you take yes for an answer? All right, here's how you take yes for an answer graciously and with a lot of gratitude slathered on top and throwing chits all over the place, just laying down markers. Oh, you know, it's so good that you're willing to – I really appreciate that you do this for me and it's really a big turn on and it's one of those things I love. And if there's ever anything that you want to do or you want to try, please don't hesitate to ask. Just keep throwing that on the table. Um, a lot of uh, females come into their kinks later in life. I finally have the ultimate proof that I can throw in the whole world's face about this. It's called 50 Fucking Shades of Grey, which is being read by straight women in their 30s, 40s and 50s all over the world who are suddenly realizing this kink shit is hot. Stuff that would have sent them running in the other direction from somebody they were dating in college uh, or in their 20s suddenly is really appealing later in life. Women come into their kinks later that you sound like a young guy. You probably – you have got a – you know, a girlfriend roughly close to your own age, that you're kinkier now than she is now is understandable. It's typical. It's normal that you as the dude in the relationship would have kinks and be articulate about them and really aware of them and going for them and she may not at this stage of life. You guys are still together 10, 15 years. You may suddenly be strapped to a funk bench while she drills your ass with a strap-on dildo with a big smile on your face remembering all those times that she endured – Whatever the slight discomfort is that she endured for you, giving you blowjobs in that kink way that you enjoy getting blown. Uh, but take yes for an answer. Just lots of gratitude, lots of chits being thrown out for her that she knows at any time she can pick them up. And when she says, boo, when she says, there's this thing I want to do, you do it. You do it for her. All right? And you need to check in with her. You know, if you're the kinky boyfriend and some of your kinks involve physical discomfort. You don't go into what that means exactly. But if some of them involve, you know, they're a little physically taxing for your partners, you need to be checking in with your partner frequently about that to make sure that they're not doing anything that they don't enjoy doing. Even if what, you know, takes this thing that might be a little physically taxing and rounds it up to pleasure is the pleasure that they're giving you, if that's what makes it a turn on for them to endure for you, that's fine. That's legit. People do that all the time. People do that in the missionary position all the time, not just with kink. Uh, but you need to check in with her and you need to give her permission when she's not feeling it, not to do it, to bail, maybe to do it less than she's done it. If she's doing it too much, you need to allow her to regulate and moderate uh, 
the disbursement of your kinks, right? The times that she indulges you because you don't want her to do this thing that sometimes she might be into and get off on even with a little bit of discomfort. You'd want her doing it more often than she's comfortable doing it. So don't be an ingrate. Lots of gratitude and uh, give her lots of opportunities to bail if she's not into it during this particular encounter or the next particular encounter. But you sound like a good thoughtful kinkster. Take yes for an answer. Give thank you as a response. Speaking of kink and speaking of women, I'd like to uh, bring somebody in. Uh, there was a piece in the New York Times last weekend in the Modern Love uh, column, um, which is a guest column. A different writer writes Modern Love every week. I got to write Modern Love once a while ago. Um, and I read this headline and I looked at the illo and I just assumed, of course, that this was written by a dude. The headline was Finding the Courage to Reveal a Kink and the illo is a man and a woman laying in bed together. And I thought, oh, I wonder what the dude's kink is because it's always the dude who's kinky and it's never the girl who's kinky or rarely the girl. Uh, as I just said it to the previous caller, you know, most uh, men who are kinky are aware of it early but most women who are kinky come into their kinks later in life and uh, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon. But this turned out to be by uh, Jillian Keenan who's a freelance writer living in New York uh, and it's about her kink uh, and revealing it and the depths of it to her lover of some years. So joining us by phone now from New York City, where she is a freelance writer in New York City, Jillian Keenan. Thanks for jumping on the line with us, Jillian. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. That was a really brave piece. <laughs> I'm sure well, you're getting tired of you. hearing that from people. You know, a lot of people have said that, but um, I honestly think that it is the least brave that a piece like that could be just because I fall into such a privileged demographic. I'm Caucasian, I'm young, I'm well-educated, I'm in a heterosexual monogamous relationship. So in every other way, I fall into these very socially acceptable privileged categories and it would be a lot harder for a submissive man or a polyamorous person or you know someone from a less privileged demographic to write an essay like mine. I think you're selling yourself short. I think it was really great. Just to bring everybody up to speed, what is your kink and what is it that the column was about? What is it that, that you were unpacking with this column? I have a lifelong interest in spanking that I would say borders on obsession at times. And you wrote and about sort of this aspect. You know, I talk about kink all the time. Uh, half my calls are about kink. Half my columns are about kink. You know, people who have sort of non-normative sexual interests have usually have problems and are likelier to seek advice about how they fold this into their lives. And I think it's more of a problem for heterosexuals like you. You think that gives you a leg up? I think that's a big leg down. You know, mm -hmm. for gay people, telling your boyfriend you want to get spanked is really minor after you've told your mom you want to have a boyfriend. Right? <laughs> telling your parents you put dicks in your mouth compared to telling your boyfriend you want a spanking, there's no comparison. Right? Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a good uh, point. But you you actually honed in on this one area that that I've never really seen anyone address, but it is really so insightful and so true to I think the you know kinky person with the vanilla partner and rolling their kink out is you had revealed to your partner David that you were into spanking, into like rough sex and a little BDSM, but you hadn't really been able to share with him just how important it was and how central it was to your sexual fetishes, fantasies, identity, and that is something that rarely comes – like people will tell, oh, yeah, I'm maybe into bondage or whatever. A lot of kinksters will reveal their kinks but they have to feign this sort of take it or leave it blaséness about it for fear of mm. their partners thinking they're perverts. Yeah, you know, in a, a lot of the emails I've gotten this week, I think that that's kind of a common problem. Um, I think that these days because of you know Fifty Shades of Grey um, and some other moments in pop culture, a sort of – generalized interest in S&M or a sexually omnivorous outlook has become a kind of commonplace and accepted. But I think that a lot of people with a very specific and at times overwhelming fetish don't feel that they fall into that broad category. And that's so still it stigmatized. Really... It's okay to be kind of a sexual gourmet with a like interest in everything and experience and everything. <laughs> but to be really, really focused on cross-dressing or spanking or really intense bondage or whatever makes you a freak, even the eyes yeah. of a partner who might be willing to indulge you. And so there are people who are sort of half out about their kinks and that's what you were. You were half out. Your partner knew yeah, you kind of liked Yeah, I was half out it. for a really long time. And what made you make the decision to be fully out to your partner? You know, I had, I had been going back and forth and kind of inching towards um, the issue 
But there was a big moment when I was in a chat room one night, and I was just talking to a girl who is in college. So I was just in undergrad a few years ago. I could really relate to her situation where she was kind of dabbling with the online community but hadn't come out to anyone else in her life. And she mentioned that her boyfriend of a year was vanilla. And she was terrified, absolutely terrified, to start discussing her interests with him. And I thought, well, you know, I'm sort of going through this process with my vanilla fiancé, who I've now been with for six years. And I thought, because this process has been so successful and so rewarding in my life, maybe this is a story that that I should share. I I know that I certainly would have um, appreciated being able to read a story like this when I was 15 or 20. How did your how did your fiance feel about you sharing this story? Because when you share details like this, you're not just sharing details about your sex life, but about his too. Right. Um, yeah, you know, he's been incredibly supportive of me uh, publishing the piece. I think when I first uh, showed it to him, he was more than anything else a little taken aback that it had taken me six years to reach um, this point with him. I think he felt. Uh, a, a little hurt even that um, he thought, didn't you feel that you could trust me with this earlier on? And I had to explain that the biggest hurdle was coming out to myself, not to him. I mm-hmm. had so much self-loathing for so long that I could barely admit these things to myself, let alone anyone else. And, and you shouldn't be shamed about that self-loathing by your boyfriend or, or kinky people when they finally reveal. A lot of kinky people who finally screw up the courage to reveal have been shamed by the culture and a lot of free-floating anti-kink shit that's out there. Also, sometimes in very scarring ways, shamed by partners they did reveal themselves to. Rejected, dumped, uh, made to feel like a freak even by a partner who indulged them but guilted and treated very badly about it. There's a lot of sort of damaged kinksters out there. And every once in a while there's a Yahtzee story. I think of that girl that you were interacting with in the chat room who's a, a sweating coming out to her, you know, her boyfriend who's vanilla about her kinks. Every once in a while I get a story about someone who – I get a letter from someone who finally worked up the nerve to come out to their partner about their kinks and at that moment their partner revealed that they had the same kinks and were going through the same <laughs> sort of apprehension about when and how to reveal or ever if they should reveal for fear of being rejected. So I always encourage yeah. people to tell, tell, tell. One of the things that's frequently said about kink and kinksters is there's 100 kinky guys for every kinky girl. Um, huh. which you don't think that's true or what was, what did that huh mean? You know, I, I would say that in the last, and maybe this is just because of the demographic I fall into and because of the essay that I wrote, but more than half of the emails that I've received, and I've received, you know, a few hundred of them in the last uh, week, a lot of them have come from women and, uh, a lot of them, and this is very touching, said that they were going to save my piece and share it with their husbands or boyfriends or partners. Um, so I don't, I don't, you know, I haven't spent enough time in the kinky community. This is really just the beginning of a coming out process and an exploration process for myself. Mm-hmm. But anecdotally, at least, I think that, um, you know, maybe there's a lot of secretly kinky women out there who are just sort of looking for an excuse to unleash. I think there are. One thing, uh, uh, lastly, last com- I want to ask you for a comment and then, and then we'll let you go. There was a piece famously in The New Yorker some years ago written by a woman about having the same fetish that you do. She was into spanking, into being spanked. But yeah, there was some- Yeah. There was something about her piece though that left me at the end of it almost – you know, the piece ended with her saying, you know, now she's not so into this anymore. It was almost like the fever broke and – so it kind of conformed to you know society's wish that nobody had any kinks. It almost felt like I'm going to share my kink, but oh, don't worry, I'm not kinky anymore, right? And you're still kinky, I hope. Oh yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you read that piece? You must have read that piece in the New Yorker when it came out. I did, yeah, and I mentioned it in my essay. What's your opinion? Um, you know, I I think that so much of kink in pop culture is focused on explaining it away or fixing it somehow. That's what happens at the end of Fifty Shades of Grey, which I haven't actually read, but I've flipped through enough to sort of get the gist. Um, <laughs> at the end, everyone is sort of fixed. And I don't think there's anything wrong that needs to be fixed. It's just we need to, you know, have fun and enjoy our kinky, crazy sexuality as it is. So do you think she was lying? Do you think she still likes to be spanked, but she thought she had to say that so that Oh, no, you know, I am certain that she wrote the truth of her situation. And, um, <laughs> Have you so heard I from her? That, 
I had I sent her an email um, right before the story ran, just because this I am I'm a journalist, but this is my first national story, and I didn't really quite know what to expect. So I sent uh, Daphne Merkin an email just to ask if she had any advice. Um, she didn't write back, but my understanding <laughs> also is that she's uh, was a bit older um, when she wrote her piece. I'm 26 right now, mm-hmm. so it's possible that you know as my own sexuality evolves, maybe my relationship with my kink will change, but. I've got to say, it's been there for as long as I can remember, and I can't really imagine it going away anytime soon. And how old are you? I'm 26. Okay, so what advice do you have for listening to the podcast, young women who may be kinky uh, and closeted still with their partners about it? I'm so, so glad that I came out. I'm really glad. I feel a lot more comfortable in my skin, a lot more confident about my sexuality. I have to say, it feels... It's a lot easier to feel sexy when you're not distracted by self-loathing. So if you can uh, clear that hurdle, it's it's a really valuable and rewarding experience. And I do believe that a you know a truly loving, supportive partner will be like, awesome. Let's let's go. Let's have fun. Jillian Keenan, freelance writer in New York, uh, wrote the column in Modern Love last weekend called "Finding the Courage to Reveal a Fetish." Google that phrase, and it pops right up. Thank you so much for joining us, Jillian. Yeah, thanks, Dan. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to AdamandEve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE, and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling you from the Southwest. And I'm calling you about a problem with my current girlfriend, who is also my fiance. She insists that because, okay, well, just a little background. I'm 36. She's 41. We've been together about seven months. I didn't come out until I was 27. And I was with men before that, but I was like way closeted. And I am gay. I am gay. But the problem is she thinks that I'm bi because I was with men and because I can appreciate how men's bodies look. I don't want cock in me, on me. I don't want it in my mouth. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't like the smell of it. And I've told her this, and she insists that because I'm bi, that's disgusting. Here's one more thing. Every single woman she's ever been with, except for one, has been straight, has been with men before her and after her. But she has a problem with me appreciating men and uh, I'm just, I'm sick about this and... I know what you're going to say. You're going to say DTMFA, but I don't want to because I love her. I'm in love with her. I want to be with this woman. I want to marry this woman. Um, She is. She's butch. I'm femme. It's a dynamic both of us are into. You know, it's fucking hot. She won't let go of this bi thing. Like, I can't say anything about, about men ever. And randomly she gets upset about things I've told her in the past. I don't identify as bi. Yes, I've been with men. Yes, I can appreciate them. I love pussy. That's what I want. That's what I desire. That's what gets me hot. And I want to be with her. I don't ever want to be with anybody else. I don't need... Okay, shut up. Shut up. I don't want to hear any more. Um... You want to be with this woman and that's awesome. This woman does not want to be with you. This woman has a script. She goes after straight women uh, who then break her heart and leave her for dudes because that's what she wants. On some level, she wants to be the only woman in the world that these women want to sleep with besides men because she's just that like mix of masculine and feminine, whatever. She's but she's the kind of dyke who – is so attractive that women who don't sleep with women fuck her and she's really good at fucking them and they get off and they love it. But she wants you to ultimately leave her for a dude because that confirms 
and I'm reading a lot into what you told me, but I have seen this play out so many times. That confirms her own self-conception as like an erotic actor. All right? So what you need to tell her is that you're a dyke. You're out now. You're never going back to dick. And she needs to love and accept you for that. But, you know, I don't think – and you can say that and maybe you can try to convince her of that. But she's going to drive you off because she wants you to leave her ultimately so she can run this script again. She's one of those people. Maybe she's one of those people who enjoys falling in love and out of love, that their love life is about – Drama. It's about the drama of new romance and coming together, the drama of heartbreak and being left and starting over again. That's what they want. There are people out there who do this, who have, who have people in and out of their lives, not because there's anything wrong with them, but because it's, it's what they enjoy and it's what they want. They don't want a long-term stable loving commitment. They want a lot of smashed crockery and drama and screaming and yelling and hot passionate sex and whatever – and so they go for it. But it's pathologized. You know, you're not allowed to want a lot of relationships. You're supposed to want this thing that everybody, you know, is held up on that pedestal, the long-term stable thing. Because there's many short-term relationships that are gratifying and give you what you want and hopefully give their, your, your series of partners what they want. That's not held up as valuable or valued. So people are insecure and weird about that. So they pathologize. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Enjoy it while it lasts. And if you want, you know, one more big fucking exhibit A, uh, exhibit B evidence that this isn't a relationship for the ages, that there is a fundamental immaturity at work here, regardless of her age, regardless of your age or your certainty about your sexual orientation, which I'm not challenging at all, it's the fact that you used seven months and fiance in the same sentence, that you've been together seven months and this woman is your fiance. The rush to commit, the rush to propose is always a bad sign. Isn't always determinative. It doesn't mean that nobody who ever got engaged or married at seven months didn't, you know, find their lasting one true love for the rest of their lives. Some do, but it's usually a very bad sign. To be engaged at seven months is to say, I don't know what I'm doing. She doesn't know what she's doing. We're in love with love, not so much in love with each other because it's seven months. You don't know her and she don't know you. So I would call off the engagement if I were you. I wouldn't call off the relationship but I would walk that engagement back and say, you know what? The blush of hot new fucking awesome love. I think we rushed in prematurely to that fiancé status commitment. Let's just go back to girlfriends and dating and take it easy and be a couple of mature out dykes about this. And not a couple of high school sweethearts about it. Good luck. You are going to need it. We took a call last year shortly before Thanksgiving from a young gay kid, a teenager who would come out to his family. And his family was threatening to cut him off, not help him pay for school uh, because he was gay. But his family also wanted him to come home for the holidays so they could abuse him in person. A lot of people who heard that call and heard my response called in offering to take this kid in uh, for the holidays to be the family that this kid didn't have or to sub for the family that was failing him at this moment. A lot of families who failed gay kids in this way eventually come around. And we got a lot of calls, particularly in the run-up to the holidays now. We got calls from listeners who had remembered this call and wanted us to reach out to this kid again, find out how he's doing. Uh, and so we uh, gave him a buzz and we arranged for him to join us on the show today. So joining us uh, from his home in Ohio is Ben, uh, the caller last year that folks wanted to hear back from and were concerned about. And I, I was concerned about too. Uh, how did it play out last year, Ben? What did you end up doing for the holidays? Well, I took your advice and I decided not to come home for Christmas. A really good friend of mine who I've known since kindergarten, his parents are basically surrogate parents of mine. He They graciously allowed me to stay in their house. And so that it was better than being at home. It was still an extremely hard Christmas, definitely probably the hard, one of the low points in my life, because I mean, even if you weren't, even if I wasn't there, not being around my family and mm -hmm. not visiting the family was very difficult. And, and how, did um, your, how did your parents take it when you told them you weren't going to be coming home for Christmas? Because they wanted you to come uh, home. They, yeah. in addition to being awful to you when you came out and threatening to cut you off, they also insisted that you come home for Christmas. And so when you told them you weren't coming home, what did they say? We had a 
an hour-long argument over the phone because when I originally told them I was still at my Midwestern Christian University. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> which you've since left, but, right? Yes, which I've since left. I'm no longer there, thankfully. And so we had about an hour-long argument where many extremely hurtful things were said and basically told them I'm not coming home. And so they, we met once on, I think it was the 20th, 21st, uh, a couple days before Christmas, and they still gave me the gifts. I told them, I was like, I don't want any gifts this year. If you're going to give me anything, just give me money for school or something like that. And they still gave the gifts. And my dad basically said, and he was like, you know, we, this is hard for us to, you know, this is very hard for us. None of us really wanted to come. And they basically tried to place all the blame and guilt and this, this Christmas is ending up this way because it's your fault kind mm-hmm. of guilt trip. <laughs> yeah, it's your, you're I ruining guess. Christmas by not coming home and letting us punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was about, that was about how it, how it ended up. And that's actually how it's basically kind of played out to the, for the most part. I mean, Christmas, Christmas was pretty, pretty bad, but I, but you got through uh, it, and you had people around you who supported you. And now, jumping forward, jumping forward a year, where are you now? What's going on in your life now? How are things with your family now? Um, well, actually, right after that, I was I attended a semester at a private college or private university, which was fantastic. I met some amazing people, some absolutely that it actually blew my mind. But then I lost the federal aid. I got a bill for twenty five grand for the next year, and I couldn't afford that, so I ended up having to leave. And some some unfortunate job things happened over the summer, so I ended up having to move back in with my parents, where I had been until a week from now. Mm-hmm. And so that has been very difficult because we've been kind of um, walking on eggshells. And on top of that, which actually I was extremely glad you called because I was uh, thinking of calling in again because I've got a question for you that's going to come up in the next couple months, is my brother started dating a girl he met while traveling and she is since she lived she lives about half an hour from us and so she's over every night uh, i was going to thinking about i threatened to move out in september because of the way i dated the guy for a couple months it wasn't really anything serious it was just kind of a first real you know thing and they basically ignored him during that entire period i'm dating a different guy now i started dating about two two months ago or so going fantastic i know it's only two months in but i really couldn't be happier but it's kind of the same thing happening again where my brother is, he bought an engagement ring two days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that'll end up well. I'm listening <laughs> to you long enough to know that I, I, have, I have little faith in how well that's going to end. But, but your, parent, your parents welcomed and celebrated his girlfriend, but they completely ignored your boyfriend and they're completely ignoring this new boyfriend. That's the problem? Yes. Like whether your boyfriend's going to be invited to this wedding or not, if this wedding happens. That is... That's my fear. Okay, well, let's worry about that wedding when the wedding invitations go out. Don't spend the next year <laughs> stewing and allowing yourself to become bitter and resentful about that wedding. Bitter, resentful. Bitter, resentful in general. Well, you, have, guess, you but, have every right to be bitter and unhappy. Uh, what you do need to do, though, for your own sanity, not for your parents, you need to let them have their tantrums, stay, continue to stand your ground. I don't know what you're doing for Christmas this year. Continue to stand your ground. Be who you are. It sounds like you know, living well and giving good blowjobs and getting good head is the best revenge. You've got <laughs> one boyfriend under Amen. your belt. You've got a new boyfriend in your pants. Like you, you're, you're living your life and you're having a good time. Once your parents see that the tantrum and the judgment and the negativity isn't going to change you, they may come around. When they do come around, you don't want to be so poisoned and pickled by anger and resentment as justified as your anger and resentment is that you can't then welcome them back into your life on your terms, right? And that's – that's I, I completely agree with you but that's also kind of what I'm worried about because it's like I'm – you know, the forgive and forget. And, you know, my dad wants to just pretend that everything that happened during high school didn't happen. He's like, oh, I thought we were past that. But I mean I never got an apology from them out of high school. Well, then I you know say that, I, I never you know, got an apology. We're not past that until I get an apology. You, you say that. Oh, I – I tried that, but then he basically said that I threw him under the bus to my coming out. Now, my my coming out never was a novel. It was like a 15-page, this is what happened. It was I didn't lie about anything. 
give like, them, you're going to treat me like shit. Give them time. Be known for. Ben, you got to give them time. You know, and, and it's almost like the worse they are when you come out and the, wor- the worse they were when you were gay and closeted and the more awful they were, the more time it takes, the more time you've got to give them. So you need to not obsess about the shitty things your dad has done and said or your mom has done and said in such detail, you know, such fine-grained detail. You don't go over it so closely all the time. Just put it in a box and set it aside. My family is really shitty about this right now. Dump all of that in a box and put it away. And if your family comes around, then you can like unpack that box one day and like let's just purge this, right? And right. if they get there and they can say sorry, then you can throw that box full of anger and resentment away. But in the meantime, this this is what derails some gay people early in life is you're going over and don't you know this propensity to go over and over in your head the anger the resentment that you have a right to be angry about that the way you were treated the things that were done to you the ways you were failed you have a right to be angry about it but the only person you're hurting right now by thinking about it obsessing about it unpacking it all the time is you it's not doing anything to your parents it's not bringing them around faster so you holding on to it right now it, it isn't achieving what you wanted to achieve it's not getting that apology from your dad any quicker you know it's almost like your dad handed you this scalding hot red hot iron bar and you're standing there holding it right (laughs) until he apologizes for you for handing that red hot iron bar to you i'm gonna hold on to this bar and it's gonna burn me until you apologize no just fucking drop it and walk away Have a polite, friendly, informal relationship with your family. Give them the opportunity that when they're ready to to step back into your life in a loving and supportive way. So keep the avenues of communication open. Be open to them and their presence. Protect yourself. Don't hold that iron bar. Um, Allow them in only as much as you want to let them in and be around them only as much as you want to be there. But when you are there, you got to be the grown-up. you got to be the bigger person. And when they come around and they're ready to apologize, you have to accept that apology and then fucking throw that box away forever. And in the meantime, have fun. Live your life. Suck your boyfriend's dick. I, I, w- I am. No. <laughs> I mean that in a wonderful celebratory way. Like get out there and live. They can't they, – what they want to do is prevent you from living this life that you – the only one you've got. And it sounds like you're living it. So fucking live it. Let them see that you're happy even if they're still judgmental fucking assholes who are stuck on their homophobia and their hatred. They're going to hold on to that homophobia and hatred so long as they think it might have a chance of either controlling you or ruining your life. Don't let them control you or ruin your life with their anger or their homophobia. There's only one – still, even now, there's only one one family member who I've had to – who I went to rather than them coming to me, extended family – she sent me a three-page letter that my personal favorite was, you need to step out from among the homosexual ranks and be with the Lord, I think was the direct quote. <laughs> you need to get away from the homos and hang out with that dude who hangs out with the 12 guys who has great big dinner parties, all dudes. Um, <laughs> fuck your family. Build a family. Don't get too that's bogged down working, uh, in your family of origin. Think about what you're losing. Even if, even if you lose your whole family, your whole extended family, a bunch of judgmental shitty bigots who prefer their imaginary friends to their flesh and blood relatives, fuck those people. Eventually, even if you're cast out, you will look back and think, look at what I was cast out from. I won. That was a good thing to be thrown away out of because that family is toxic. In some ways, your sexuality bringing you into conflict with your family, one day you will look back and see that it was a blessing. Because it got you away from some shitty people like your aunt. Right. Well, that makes sense. Stay strong. Um. This, is, this is your hero's journey. This is going to shape your character and who you are and how you feel about yourself for the rest of your life. Stay the fuck away from meth. Stay the fuck away from bitterness. And don't spin off into self-harm because the people who were supposed to love you in your life – tried so hard to harm you. Don't pick up where they left off. Once you get away from them, don't start harming yourself, which so many gay people who've been rejected by their family wind up doing for a time and some are destroyed by it. Don't do it. Good luck, man. Thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate you calling me back. A lot of people uh, who listen to the podcast are thinking about you, thought about you all year, were really concerned about you last year, uh, and are rooting for you. I would appreciate it, Dan. Thanks. 
Hey, Dan, this is a uh, response to podcast 351. The young lady who called and asked if she should confront the irresponsible guy that knocked her up by his crappy use of condoms. And, man, I really appreciated your advice, and you are so spot on. There are so many guys out there who have no idea how many bullets they've dodged because they're careless, and they deserve to have to know I have to be aware of the consequences of their actions. And it's not just the woman's burden to bear on her own. I feel like, uh, gosh, be made aware of uh, what they're leaving around all over town when they're careless. Hey, Dan, I'm calling in response to the um, person in episode 315 who was receiving uh, gross harassing phone calls. And your advice was that she just ignore it um, or change her number. And I wanted to let you know there's a way better solution. She needs to call her um, phone carrier and let them know. Um, and she'll probably have two options. One is she can probably block, even though it's a private call, I believe that after she receives the call, there's a code. If she, if she enters a code into her phone, like, you know, whatever, star 27 or something, she can enter that code after she receives the call, and it will block that number from calling her, even though she doesn't have visibility to it, the phone company does. Also, she can report it, and they again, they have visibility to who's calling her, and they can take action if need be, or at least document it so that the, if this is a person who's in the legal system or if there's an investigation at some point, it's on the record that she's been receiving harassing calls. So please encourage people to call their phone providers um, when that situation is happening. They, you shouldn't have to change your number. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a straight male, 30 years old, living in the Northwest. Uh, I just listen to your podcast, as I do every week. I wanted to respond to your claim that the LGBT community needs to thank straight people for all their help. Um, I just want to say that people like me really didn't sacrifice all that much. It wasn't straight people, for the most part, who were who grew up being called names. It wasn't straight people who sacrificed their physical security just to have a relationship. It wasn't straight people who lost their jobs, their careers, their livelihoods because they were caught in the wrong type of relationship. Uh, it wasn't straight people who faced the wrath of police, of the psychiatric community, of the church, of their families. All we did was not be an asshole. I, I grew up in a time in which I was able to know and love many LGBT people, and I can't take credit for that. Right? I, I think we need to thank the lesbians and gay men of a generation ago, two generations ago, who put it all on the fucking line, who stood up for themselves, who in so many cases lost so much just because they were lesbian or gay. Um, I'd like to suggest that we all think, not straight people, uh, but all those people who came out a generation ago, like those people who mobilized at a time when it was really risky uh, to fight for themselves. Uh, it's because of them that straight people like me can know with moral certainty that, of course, I'm going to chip in to help secure same-sex marriage rights. In that regard, I had little to do with the fact that I wasn't raised a homophobe. I can't take credit for that. Uh, it's all about those people. Uh, who risked so much, who came out at a time when people like me were usually assholes. So please um, acknowledge that older cohort of LGBT people. We all owe so much to them, and in many cases, to their memory. Thanks. And we're going to leave it there. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Particularly you, Ben. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast if you'd like to record a question or call for a future show. If you want to make sure your comment is attached to the show for all the world to read, go to www.thestranger.com slash lovecast where there's a comment thread attached to each and every show. 206-201-2720, that's the number. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Seattle's awesomest straight person, Nancy Hartunian, and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.